I'm Keaton Fletcher, an assistant professor of industrial organizational psychology at Colorado State University, and this is Healthy Work. All right, and we're back with another exciting guest. Um, I'm going to get out of the way and let you introduce yourself. Hi, Keaton. Thanks so much for having me on the Healthy Work podcast. I'm Rebecca Bersois, and I'm an assistant professor of psychology at Louisiana State University. Uh, I work in the industrial and organizational psychology area at LSU. I also went to graduate school at Colorado State University. While I was at CSU, I specialized in occupational health psychology. So now my research is all related to occupational health psychology, which means I'm really interested in understanding and improving the lives and health and the well-being of working people. And before I attended grad school at CSU, I went to college at UMass Amherst, which is close to where I'm from. I grew up in Salem, Massachusetts. And while I was at UMass, I worked in a sleep laboratory and really enjoyed that experience and have basically been studying sleep ever since. So now a lot of the work that I do that is centered on worker health and well-being considers the role of employee sleep, which I'm excited to talk more about today. That was a beautiful segue exactly into the paper that um, I'm hoping you're going to talk about today, recently published in the Journal of Occupational Health Psychology. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I think it's super cool. I'm always excited and geeked out when we get to talk about an actual experiment, you know, randomized control trial. But that's all I'm going to say about it. Could you give us a brief overview of your paper? Absolutely. So the focus of this study was to explore whether an organizational intervention that was targeting sleep could also impact workplace safety. So first I'll give just some high level background on the project. So the paper stemmed from a large intervention project that was led by Leslie Hammer at Oregon Health and Science University, as well as a few others, including Cynthia Moore, Todd Bodner, and Tori Crane, who are at Portland State University, and Stephen Shea, who is at OHSU with Leslie. And Krista Brockwood was the project manager for this study. There were lots of other collaborators, too, at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research and other universities, but I did just want to highlight the leadership team on the project first. So my role on the project was initially as a research assistant when I was in grad school. I then worked as a postdoc with Leslie Hammer, who was the PI of the study, and now I continue to collaborate with the team on papers to report the key findings from the intervention. So in this particular study, the participants included Army and Air National Guard service members who worked in a range of different jobs. So things like aircraft technicians and mechanics to fighter pilots to machinists. And there were also some who were in more administrative or personnel related roles like HR. And the participants worked across a bunch of different work units throughout the National Guard in the state where we conducted this study. So what we did was we randomly determined which of these work units would receive the intervention and which wouldn't, which is why it is a cluster randomized control trial design. And this works really well because it essentially allows us to compare groups who did and did not go through the intervention. And that gives us a better sense of whether the intervention actually was effective and to ensure that the effects weren't due to other factors. 
so that's some of the background. And now I'll uh, walk through what the intervention itself entailed. So the intervention had a lot of different components. The first piece included leadership trainings where supervisors learned and practiced behaviors to support their employees' lives outside of work and their employees' sleep. What this looked like was the leaders and supervisors in the National Guard participated in this hour-long online training where they learned all about family support behaviors and sleep support behaviors. These sleep support behaviors were things like asking employees about their sleep, encouraging them to get sleep, uh, giving some suggestions about how to get better sleep. So they learned all about this in the training. And then after the training, they were encouraged to keep track of the supportive behaviors that they were enacting at work, eventually really with the goal of them creating a habit to provide support for their employees. So that was the first big piece of the intervention, but there was a whole other component of the intervention too, beyond these leadership training. There was this other piece of the intervention where National Guard personnel track their sleep using these cool wristwatch devices called actographs. And then we use that sleep data from the actograph watches to generate personalized reports with really detailed feedback about how they were sleeping during a three-week period. So things like how long they typically slept, how consistent their sleep was, how restless their sleep was. So kind of like the sleep scores or reports that commercial devices provide. The participants received these customized reports, they learned all about their sleep habits, and then they were encouraged to set sleep-specific goals that they could work towards to try to improve their sleep. So that's what the intervention entailed. And as I mentioned, I really wanted to know whether this intervention that was designed specifically to target sleep would in turn have an impact on workplace safety outcomes too. So I've done some previous work examining the links between sleep and workplace safety in populations like construction workers. So I was really eager to see if a sleep intervention could also improve worker safety too. And that's largely what we found. So the positive effects that this intervention had on things like increased supervisor support for sleep and improved sleep quality ended up predicting better workplace safety outcomes too, too which we thought was really exciting uh, and interesting. So we found effects on outcomes like greater value of safety at work, better adherence to safety protocols, and even fewer accidents and injuries at work. So even though this intervention was really focused on sleep and not explicitly focused on safety, we found that the benefits of it extended beyond sleep and support for sleep and also had a positive influence on workplace safety outcomes. Thank you so much. That was very clear. And there's so much there. This study seems really big. I know in the paper, it cites a different paper that presented some findings from a different part of the study. And so I, you love that like rich data when you're doing so much and you can get a lot out of it. I also think it's so cool that what you pointed out of this intervention designed largely to improve sleep also impacts safety, which I think addresses one of the issues that workers have when they get those sort of boring safety trainings that feel like checking off a, a box, right? <laughs> this is like, no, we actually want to improve your safety. And we recognize that there's things beyond just knowledge or whatever our safety training is designed to do that's probably stopping you from being as safe as you want to be or ought to be. I, I love that. I think that's so cool. And also, one thing that I think is 
really cool about this too is that we actually get to say causality, right? This is this is an experiment in the field outside of the lab, and we get to talk about causality, which we don't often get to do in our psychology. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We were really excited about it too, and it was such a unique experience to be able to be involved in such a well-designed and rigorous cluster RCT. Really, really excited about it and had just a lot of fun and learned a tremendous amount through working on this project. And made some people's lives better, which is always great. Question for you then, as you were doing this, what surprised you the most? Yeah, this is this is a good question. So there were a couple of findings that I found surprising. I'll talk about some of those. So one surprising thing that we found was that we actually didn't find any effects on sleep duration or with sleep duration as this kind of explanatory variable between the effects of the intervention on safety. So instead, what we found was that indicators of sleep quality, so things like being satisfied with your sleep or how well you've been sleeping or how tired you feel throughout the day, that's really what explained the relationship between the intervention and the safety outcomes. So more so than sleep duration. So that that was kind of surprising. And then there were also some surprising differences in the effects of supervisor support for sleep and the actual sleep the participants were getting. So we found that supervisor support for sleep influenced more of these behavioral safety outcomes. So things like service members choosing to follow correct safety protocols. But sleep quality indicators, even though they predicted some behavioral outcomes too, like putting an extra effort to be safe at work. The actual sleep quality also was related to things like an increased value that service members placed on safety. And sleep quality was actually what predicted these reduced accidents and injuries at work. So I think some of those differences between support for sleep and actual sleep uh, were, were quite interesting. Yeah. And I love too that I was surprised <laughs> slash it sounds like you were also a little bit surprised that that sleep quantity mattered a lot less than quality did. And I think colloquially, we don't really talk about it that way. We talk about like, oh, I only got two hours. Oh, <laughs> hopefully you got more than that. Yes. But uh, it's really about like <laughs> the quality, at least in the context of this study. I, fascinating. Then what can I do <laughs> with this as either an employee myself or as a supervisor? Yeah, great question. That's really the point of all of this. So what do we do with this? So if you're a manager or a supervisor, or really anyone with any type of power in your workplace, there are a lot of things that you can do related to really just believing in and conveying to the people around you the importance of sleep and the importance of safety and just how critical these things are to worker health and well-being. Because that alone can have a positive impact on the overall culture and the climate of where you work. It can really help for managers, supervisors, leaders to openly talk about things and promote things like sleep and safety, including some of the types of leadership support behaviors that I described earlier from this intervention. And then more broadly, it can look like advocating and pushing for policies and initiatives that would protect workers. That's what managers can do. Now, what employees can do, regardless of level, so employees, managers, anyone, there's lots of different things that you can do to actually improve your sleep and, and sleep better. So 
again, the first thing you want to do is to prioritize and value sleep and recognize that it really does matter for a lot of things ranging from your health to your mood to how safe you are, how you treat people. So lots of different factors and how we act and how we feel day to day are in some way contingent on how we're sleeping. Once you've convinced yourself that it matters, there's tons of different practical strategies you can use to improve your sleep. I can share a few of those. Please do. Yeah. So the the first kind of the go-to one is to sleep for between seven to nine hours each night. Uh, but not only that, but trying to keep the times that you go to sleep and that you wake up fairly consistent. Uh, another thing uh, to try to do is that you want to get up when your alarm goes off and avoid hitting the snooze button in the morning. So we tend to feel like snoozing gives us more sleep, uh, but really it's just giving us fragmented sleep and the sleep itself is not that restorative when we keep hitting snooze. That hurts in my soul to hear. I know. <laughs> it's a hard one to break out of for sure. Other things, so kind of more general strategies, things like movement and regular exercise, being outside and exposed to natural light, managing stress, all of those types of things can help your sleep too. A couple others, establishing a relaxing bedtime routine tends to be really helpful for people. So really trying to avoid doing stressful tasks close to bed, so not working before bed trying to not use your phone or electronics because that can, it can stress us out. It can also keep our minds active, but then it also exposes us to more blue light. The blue light, is this real? This is real, right? Well, <laughs> jury's still out. I, I think it's real. The evidence, hmm. there is some evidence that blue light exposure can, essentially what it does is it can suppress the secretion of melatonin and melatonin is a hormone that's important to the regulation of our sleep and wake cycles. I think there's some debate on things like whether those blue light glasses can filter it out enough and really be helpful. So I'm not entirely sure, but electronics do emit blue light and we don't want that close to bed. So <laughs> I'll take it. It's an excuse to not email on my phone as I'm going to sleep. Oh my gosh. Don't send emails on your phone before you're going <laughs> okay. to sleep. Definitely don't. Put your phone in another room, ideally, is what you want to do. do. Do you? Can I ask you, do you? Ooh, personal question. I should. <laughs> <laughs> I should. I usually keep it and use it for an alarm. Um, but I will say I try to read before bed instead of scrolling or, or using my phone. Love that. And then I've got one more question for you, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's my favorite question. Why do you do this work? Uh, this is my favorite question too, Keaton. Okay, in one of your recent episodes of, of the Healthy Work podcast, your guest Stephen Joe, who talked about callings, mentioned that we spend a third of our lives at work. And he's absolutely right. And I will add to that and say that we also spend another third of our lives asleep. And not only that, but both of these things, so working and sleep, are problematic and unhealthy for many, many people. So the CDC, lots of sleep scientists, scholars from other disciplines too, have acknowledged the, all of these widespread issues related to people not getting enough sleep, not getting good quality sleep, and really not being able to prioritize rest or feel rested in their lives. And at the same time, we have societal-wide issues related to being stressed from work and having to deal with the 
psychological and physical safety hazards that are due to work and work stress. So there are a lot of reasons why I do this work, but it really comes down to believing that things like reducing stress and recovering from stress, having healthy sleep and the ability to rest and having work environments that keep you safe, all of these things matter for having a good life. And I think people have an inherent right to have a healthy and a good life. So that's why I do this work. Yes, we love that. Well, thank you for doing good work. Thank you for publishing this paper. And I'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Keaton. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. Healthy Work is a podcast written and produced by Keaton Fletcher and Mariana Arvon, mixed and edited by Keaton Fletcher, artwork by Keaton Fletcher, and our music is Zero Microsoft by Steve Combs. Please like us, follow us, and subscribe on whatever podcatching software you use. And leave a review in the iTunes store. It really does help get us out there.